Two years since the SCOTUS ruling on the NCAA v. Alston, which brought us the name image likeness or NIL situation, it everything is really still in a dysfunctional mess with each state, conference, and institutions making their own rules with no real end in sight. This show is timely with the president of the NCAA and former Massachusetts governor, Charlie Baker, going to Washington, D.C. this week to discuss the challenges of NIL in front of Congress. This show features Chima Okoli, Esquire. Chima teaches at the Woods School at Boston College in their sports management program. And as a former Division I football player who comp- uh, competed at Penn State, Chima knows a few things about the student-athlete experience and has some very specific insights into the state of NIL. He also has a law degree from Georgetown University, and you'll hear more about that in the show coming up. This is a great conversation, and I can't wait for you to hear from him. Enjoy. So, Chima, tell me how you got yourself to the Catholic University for law school. What was your kind of route to getting there? So after I got done playing uh, football in 2013, I knew I, I knew that I wanted to go to law school for a little while just because the law is the one thing that touches on whatever you do, whether it's the food you eat, the taxes you pay yeah. in the state that you live in, or the emissions on your car, right? The law isn't everything. And right. I didn't necessarily want to become a lawyer in the traditional sense, law firms didn't, I I didn't think that would be my thing, but I just wanted to be able to understand the concept of the law so I could move into different circles. So take the LSAT, don't do as well as I wanted on it, take it again, which I encourage people to do no more than three times, Yeah. but the the schools will, that's the old admissions officer in me, giving people free help there, but take it again, my score improves, get into Catholic University, move to Washington, D.C., Really exciting time because this is the summer of 2014. You're about to embark on something new. You're about to do something that will be, I mean, it's it's a life-changing experience, I would say, for most yeah, people. Absolutely. Um, more than a lot of other grad schools. Like, I wouldn't say that maybe getting your MBA would be a life-changing experience. Depending on where you, it's kind of just like, mm, but going to law school, you're most people. You're yeah. pretty changed after you get out of that. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Or getting your master's in communication or something like that. So right. anyway, right. 2017, I graduate and I passed the DC bar. But, you know, if, if, if we're talking about NIL, I always knew that eventually in America, we have laws that are not necessarily equitable or reasonable. And our excuse is, well, they've just been around for a long time. Yeah. So I knew that the law would change eventually, but I stopped playing college in 2012 and here i am in 2017 still years and years away from where we are now which is still a tangled mess if i'm being honest so it just goes to show you that you never know when an opportunity is gonna break open for you fast forward a little bit after i I leave there i work for the university i also work for penn state law Mm -hmm. 2020 i leave that position because i knew finally that the the dam so to speak was going to break on an il which it's not a benevolent thing. It's an altruistic thing. It's there were so many federal lawsuits and the NCAA and the power five had no other choice. That's mm-hmm. why we're here. There, there's yeah. no set. There's not a, a shred of doing the right thing. And, and I think that's important to say because it's true. But finally, it gets all the way up to the Supreme Court and they're like, look, we don't even want to deal with this. We're really confused as to 
the NCAA came running to the Supreme Court in 2020, 2021, like, hey, can you help us? And it's like, well, you're asking me to help you out of a problem that you have not only created, created. but profited from and defended right. at every at the state, federal and Supreme Court level. Yeah. So the answer is no, essentially. And that is how we get this kind of people love the term wild, wild west, right? But mm -hmm, mm -hmm. there aren't that many rules. And yeah. I use this example a lot. It's, it's when you're younger and your mom tells you to take out the pot roast for dinner. And you say, yeah, sure, you'll do it. Maybe it's a Saturday. You go out and you're out all day. And you're like, oh, man, mom gets home at 6. So at 5.30, you're running back in there trying to run it under, underwater or do something. I was, I was a mischievous kid. I have, I have four brothers. So we would do not smart things like this. And my point is, that's what NIL was. You knew this was coming. You've been essentially fighting kids tooth and nail for 30 years, 40 years yeah. on this. Yeah. And so instead of taking the pot roast out, so at least let it thaw and let us figure out what we have. Yeah. Now we have this frozen thing that's kind of thawed in some parts, but very much frozen in others. Yeah. There are states that haven't even adopted NIL at all until right. like five, six months ago. So, you know, I'm, 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 a, I'm an agent of chaos. So this is the only <laughs> thing that would take to shake up the old order. Because let's be honest, I've worked with, athletic directors who literally retired as soon as this came about because they yeah. were getting $1.2 million a year and they wanted to ret retire to their home in Lake Tahoe. And like, you know what? I don't want to worry about this. Yeah. So we're in an interesting spot to answer your question. Well, I love where you're going with this. And I love that pot roast analogy because I thought you were going to say that they took the frozen pot roast, shoved it in the oven and turned it up to broil and just <laughs> what would happen. Also, a good I think I think that you're you're absolutely on point. I I think you brought up the 2021 case. I think that was the NCAA v Albany. Is that right? Oh Alston. no, Alston. NCAA v Alston, and that's where the kind of people started to pay attention. If you were in California or Florida, maybe you had some paying some attention to elite athletics in those states. Maybe you were paying attention, but now it, it opened up and. It was one of the few things that there was bipartisan support for, right? When you've got Ted Cruz and Elizabeth Warren saying, yeah, I support this. You've got something here that's okay. We, we've got a problem. But to your point earlier, the wild, wild west, the state of NIL, and there was a recently a, a piece in Inside Higher Ed that talked about that two years in and NIL is a complete chaos. Why is that? Is there a reason behind this? I have a theory is that the NCA doesn't do anything quickly. And this just, it, you just tore the bandaid off and everything just started going and they couldn't control it. What, what is your kind of summation of why we're in the state we're in right now? You could have just thought that saying the NCAA doesn't do anything. You didn't adding the quickly, maybe that's for your, maybe, I don't know. I don't know why you added. <laughs> It's like an elephant doesn't make a good trampoline. Like, yep, maybe, you know what I mean? Like, that's obvious. The NCAA <laughs> has no idea what to do except continue to keep things, keep the status, status quo. quo. Yeah. Mark Emmer, who, I mean, has completely, before he left, just nosedived, yeah. pretty much put his head in the, he was one of the people who put their head in the sand. Yeah. And so they, they renew another contract, give him an extra million. It's like the NCAA, 
is too prideful and mm. too arrogant and too out of touch. It's like asking someone who is a farmer in Montana to run your Manhattan penthouse. Do you get what I'm saying? It's like, I mean, you could do it because they're telling you like things and you can get reports, but they're so out of touch. Yeah. Years putting federal investigations into whether people got free Nikes. Yeah. From basketball coaches. Yeah. And there's a big part of this country, shocker, who has a problem with young black kids getting money. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You look, you look at. A lot, the, 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 the early adopters, again, Texas and Florida, California, it's not because of a yearning for fairness. It's like, listen, we make too much money at listen, football in Texas. You're not about to tell them about anything. Definitely not football. We're going to keep regardless of what you think. Florida, the same, a huge cash cow with the universities, with the professional athletes they produce. So they really didn't have a choice. Right. if to answer your question as to why it's such a mess, I, I just think besides the ineptitude of the NCAA, the power five, there is not much benefit to democratizing the system. It's like, right. hey, doctor, you make this much as a doctor, but we're going to mm. say, listen, we, we need to take a little bit from you all to make sure that the people that are essential to the whole hospital running is better. And while that sounds good to people on the outside, it sounds more reasonable because nobody wants to lose the hospital. That that doctor's like, you know what? I don't really love losing money. And and I'll give you a good example. I've consulted with a bunch of schools and their compliance officers are just worked to the bone because yeah. yeah. people think name image likeness is just a basketball and football issue. And this is all at the D1 level. We're not, we haven't even touched on D2 and D3 and how they're trying to handle it. The compliance officers are just put through the ringer because there's no guidance on what's a permissible deal. So schools had to kind of just say, all right, no alcohol, tobacco, pornography, um, or they had to make some banned categories that you just couldn't participate in. Right, right. But there's a million other things that you can that you can get into that let's say a university like Notre Dame with a very strict Roman Catholic tradition or Boston College, right? Right, right. Jesuit schools, like, hey, it might be legal, but you know what? Not a good look. Yeah. So well, it's, it's going to mess with our mission. But but the mission is always money. So the the other the overarching mission, right? the the public facing mission, shall we say? Yeah. So that it's it's this kind of this back and forth and this song and dance and we're here yeah. because. People didn't prepare for it. And the people that knew it was coming spent their time and their, and literally hundreds of millions of dollars treating people like criminals. Right. Or wanting to get, I mean, a tenth of what they deserve. Right. If you're right. all American somewhere, you know, that means you're one of the best athletes in your sport in the country. If it's D1, that literally means you're top 10 at your position. So instead of rewarding that talent, you force people into an underground economy and then you penalize it. That was the NCAA's thinking. And and that's another reason why we're here now, because yeah. everyone is too scared to make a definitive law yeah. or a motion yes. because you can end up with a racketeering charge in federal court. Nobody wants mm-hmm. that. No. You end up with a, a, a crossing state lines felony because I was, I, I was, 
played football at the time with a receiver named AJ Green at Georgia. He mm-hmm. sold like six of his game worn jerseys for like six hundred bucks. Right. And the NCAA made him sit out. I mean, he's all American in the SEC, so one of the best receivers of his generation. They made him sit out like his senior, the back half of his senior year, like seven games. Yeah. And then we're looking at the question of proportionality. Like, well, wait a minute. I didn't break into someone's home and take these. No. These are literally my jerseys. My jerseys. <laughs> that, <laughs> that someone really ripped me off for because right. they should be worth a hell of a lot more. And that is my crime. So we can kind of look at it from so many different angles. Anyone right. who got an extra Chick-fil-A sandwich ran the risk of losing their scholarship. Yeah. So it's that's why we don't have a framework of reference yeah. to say, what is market value on a deal? We don't know. Right. You and I'm glad you brought up that idea of working to the bone, the people who are in compliance, because those are the folks who already, I mean, I remember when I worked in athletic administration, and this was a billion years ago, this was 1989, 1990. So this is a year, this is in the way like before. years ago, people. <laughs> no, way before. Be before modest, times. Maybe nine years time. Go ahead. You're very kind. But I remember we made the NCAA basketball tournament and I was working in the marketing area and they gave us, and this was back before you would go on to a website and find rules and stuff. You actually got a physical manual. They sent us a manual that was the size of the the, the good old fashioned analogy of the New York City uh, yellow pages, which no one uses right. anymore either. But it was the biggest thing I've ever seen. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. And it had everything broken down about who gets tickets and how many tickets do they get? And if you did X, Y, Z, and what would be the ramifications of someone moving a little over the line in terms of doing something? I'm like, this is absolutely bananas. And I, when NIL started kind of, kind of churning forward, shall we say, all I could think about was that manual back then and saying, there is no way to your point that the NCAA as a whole is ready for this because they don't know how to do these decisions on changes of rules that, I mean, you've been to the convention, you know what they do or don't do. It literally, when I was an athletic direct report in ADR, my athletic director would come to me and say, these are the things we're voting on this year. And we kind of had a joke and I said, how long has this been in discussion? This one, 10 years. This one, this, I mean, by the time you've made the decision on something, it's almost an outdated rule before you've even made that decision. So it doesn't surprise me that we're in this space. It also doesn't surprise me that the power five are the ones kind of driving the bus, so to speak, and saying, you know what, we're now finally going to be able to grab some of these athletes that we want to bring in. We want to make this into a competitive kind of conference or my, my team. We want to, we want to get to this point. But we're getting this kind of communication, and I want your insight on this because I'm seeing some coaches who, shall we say, might be a little more seasoned than others, have a bit more gray in their hair, saying, I don't want to be a general manager. I want to be a coach, and this is making me a general manager. I don't like this. What is your What goes through your head when you hear a, a, a coach, a head coach, do that? I mean, you went to Penn State. You you worked in you you were a Division One athlete at an elite institution. What is it about that that you say, okay, where what does this mean when you hear a coach say something like that? 
Well, yeah, so good, very good point. And, and I mean, it, it depends. You have someone like Dabo Sweeney at Clemson say, if we ever have to participate in NIL, I'm done. Well, he's yeah. doing it and he's not done, right? Yeah, yeah. Coaches don't want to have to. It's the, it's the reason why Nick Saban didn't like the NFL. He didn't like the extra element of not having control over his team. Right. Because in an NFL locker room, hey, man, I got to go to my daughter's ballet or I have to take care of my parents. Like people have a lot of stuff to do once football is over. Right. It's very different from an Alabama locker room of 18, 19, 20-year-old kids. That's where he found his level. So mm-hmm. just like the ADs who cut tail and, and retired right. around that time, why would you want to deal with something extra mm. for, it's like, how do I put this? It's like if you do the same set of, you're doing, you're doing a triathlon and it's the same set of exercises. And then all of a sudden we add an extra one. Right. And it's like, well, I've gotten used to doing it this way. I'm good at it this way because the, in the back of their mind, well, what if I don't get this right? Dabo Sweeney at Clemson who fancy themselves as an SEC light team. Like, what if I can't get this right? Jimbo yeah. Fisher, Texas A&M, $100 million deal, $100 million in NIL, still mm. didn't work. Right. So it's the added, and, 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 and to be honest, that's why Nick Saban left. Yeah, right. He didn't want, he didn't, he, he he didn't want to deal with it anymore. <laughs> yeah. And, and he's not running old. for Senate. <laughs> Right, right. It's very noble to say I'm stepping down, but these are people that are making ten, fifteen million dollars yeah. a year, and quite frankly, have enough money. Done. I've done enough. I don't want to have to be as attuned to these athletes' mm-hmm. needs as somebody to succeed in this era. I'm out, and that's yeah. what we're seeing. So, I I think I want to call attention to one when I was doing research for this. There's a a young woman named Kara Borgen, Bognin, Bogner, Bogner, I believe. She was a former swimmer from the University of Illinois. I don't know if you've heard of her. She was a swimmer. She decided to, when NIL was passed, she created a company called Top Tier Lessons. And Top Tier Lessons is a website, so you can go online. It almost feels like Cameo in some ways to me as I look at this. And, like, you can pick, let's say, because I'm going to use swimming as an example. I have a daughter who's a junior in high school. She's a swimmer. She's maybe she wants to do a coach with a division one swimmer. Oh, let me see. I'm going to pick this woman. She's a great breaststroker. I really got to get my breaststroke uh, figured out. I'm going to do that. And it's and you pay them directly and it's thirty five to fifty dollars for half hour or whatever it is. And in the big scheme of life, that doesn't look like a lot. But but this this woman, Kara is making a good amount of money. She got awarded from one of the, out of the University of Chicago, this incubator gave her $35,000 as like a startup opportunity. She's getting noticed. So there's some of this NIL stuff where I go, okay, maybe this is encouraging some entrepreneurship. I'm seeing, I've even talked to some D2 and D3 athletic directors who said, especially women athletes. And I found this really interesting. Like, hi, I'm Laura. And it, the, the kids on the TikTok like to do the mm-hmm. follow me as I get ready for my workout. So they get these, these, these almost influencer type of environments going where they say, follow me and watch my morning workout. Or let's talk about why I think it's important to learn this skill if you're going to be a competitive field hockey player or whatever the case may be. So I think NIL opened up some of that 
for, for some student athletes. And as someone who's worked with students for over 30 years, we know student athletes doesn't matter division one to division three. They don't have that time to do that second job. They don't have that kind of thing to even have a job. In some cases, they're prevented to have a job. So this allowed for some income to be coming in because a lot of these students just are not in, they're not wealthy. They're not people who are bringing in all kinds of money on their own. Going back to your point though earlier about the racial dis- discrepancies and the, all of the issues around there where you're saying, well, we don't want to have the black men making any money. So we're going to keep them beholden to the institution and making sure they're not getting what they need. But now they're making good money. I mean, there's some of the money coming in on some of these division one basketball and football players is startling. What are you seeing in terms of what is actually coming in? And how is that impacting where these student athletes are landing in terms of play? Yeah. So another really good question. It's, it's become, it's, it's always been an arms race. So before you couldn't offer, there were certain things you just couldn't offer, right? Like that thick rule NCAA bylaw, it was just, it was so tangled and it was almost like it was, it was harder to not offend these rules than to offend. Like if you got right. cream cheese, if you could put, you were allowed two males, but if you got cream cheese on a bagel, this is a real story, <laughs> you'll get penalized. You, you, like whose job is it to check it? bagels for cream cheese? How did that, you know what I'm saying? Did someone take a work? Like, where are we yep. going here? But yeah, I, 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 I almost feel like now if you don't include some language around your robust NIL program, mm-hmm. You're missing an arrow out of your quill in this arms race, and you're yeah. bringing a knife to a gunfight. It used to be we have amazing facilities. Oregon said we have all the Nike gear you could even think yeah. about. We have um, yeah. because they they have an extra two hundred million dollars. They what do you do with it? You they can't give it to it. the athletes. So mm-hmm. you have. I mean, I think they had, had a new they had a new uniform every damn week. Yeah, <laughs> Penn State we only had two for a hundred years. Oh, so, you yeah. know what I mean? Bama just got two like us. So. Once, once that became, okay, well, everybody has a bunch of jerseys now, right? Like they yeah. caught on because college football is like, Hey, look, we're always looking. We live in a constant state of paranoia because an athlete can go anywhere they want. You, right. They just usually go to the best schools and to the best athletes. Now they have to have this NIL piece and whoever has the perceived highest NIL track record is mm-hmm. going to get the recruits. The rich will yep. get richer like they've been doing. And yes. it's just an extra recruiting inducement, even though funny enough, the NCAA rode out on their white horse to say that NIL cannot be a recruiting inducement. And it's like, okay. Okay. What, what are you going like, to do? You get what I'm saying? It's yeah, like, all right, yeah. you have one school that's all male for an 18-year-old man, but there's no school that's co-ed. But it's not a recruiting inducement. It's like, well, what do you, you know what I mean? Generally, yeah. yeah. what yeah. do you think that the best athletes are going to choose? Right, right. So right. that's the double speak and the just absolute lunacy that the NCAA has been operating in. I think there's some people I was watching the the Army Navy game when it was going on because I'm I'm here in right outside of Boston. It was hosted at Gillette Stadium. So it's big deal. Like literally you couldn't drive down the Massachusetts Turnpike without signs going over the Mass Pike going, Welcome Army Navy. (laughs) It's like everywhere you went. Like people were jacked and pumped for this game. To use a Pete Carrollism. They were jacked and pumped. Okay. And so there is this idea of like when you're watching this game, and I think one of the things about that particular game that is unique to college athletics is that 
there is a, almost a sentimentality that happens. The tradition of it is just oozes off the screen with the cadets and the midshipmen, like in their, in their outfits, everyone in their, in their uniforms, everybody saluting and the planes flying over and the, and the football gets dropped out of a helicopter. I mean, like the whole thing, you're going, wow, this very is American. It's very American. Okay. But we also know this isn't the most elite athletes in the country. We also know that this is you, this is a different form of thing. But I think in the mind of the casual watcher who may not be a season ticket holder to Alabama uh, football, they think college athletics is something more in that line versus the what you're talking about, which is this idea of this cutthroat one-upmanship battle that is happening to land these athletes. And what concerns me when I'm looking at this, and I guess it goes back to my life in the in the ADR role, when you're looking at a conference and the and travel, like I always one of the things I put my foot down on, and and we were a small Division three program, but I said we are not going to have athletes because a lot of these D three programs would have athletes driving vans, college vans to games, and I'm like that is unfair. That is also not safe. And Holy Cross had a very tragic accident with a van where cat, where their college athletes died. Wow. And I said, we're not going to do this. We're going to use our travel budget appropriately and we are going to get, get buses. You mean the athletes driving themselves? Yeah. Wow. Like, like in small. So that's what happens at the division three level. Okay. Now. I bring this up because in the in the world of travel budgets, travel budgets are, I mean, when you're looking at how much these teams cost to maintain, you're going to spend money on coaching and you're going to spend money on travel and food. Like those are the big tickets, okay, that you're spending money on besides obviously your, your scholarships, but like from, from an operational side. As all of this is going on, the pragmatic bean counter, former vice president for student affairs is going, how the hell are they going to pay for all the, like when we were talking about the, the, the pack 10, I'm going to get all, all messed up, but like, we're like trying to figure out where these schools are going to end up out of California. And like, I'm, I teach over at Boston college. And so at the, at, as do you in the wood school. And when they were talking about joining the ACC and what this all means, and I'm like, the travel budget is going to go through the roof because they have to try, they have to go all the way over the country. And is this a decision we're making just for football or is this a decision that is being made for the whole of the conference? And I wonder, is there going to be a point because of NIL, because of the impact that NIL is having on all of this, are we going to break football completely out of these conferences? Say, all right, we're going to have football and it's going to compete football, football and field hockey and all the other teams are going to stay in a conference, which are going to be more regional, but also appropriate to the quality and size of the program. Just because it's getting out of control, especially when you've got maybe football and possibly basketball driving 
the bus of the conference uh, because of the impact of NIL. Am I making sense? Do you think that's going to have an impact in terms of the long range of what college athletics is going to look like? Yeah, we're, we're, we're already there, right? You take, you take a, a school like Notre Dame, for example. They're not in the ACC, but right. you know, hockey plays ACC, basketball plays ACC, mm-hmm. but they're independents. You know right. what I mean? And you look at someone like, all right, well, Newark, New Jersey, Rutgers, they're in the Big Ten now. Okay. So that means right. that they have to go play University of Washington, the Huskies, literally across the country. And yep. yes, it is just for football and basketball. The issue is, you have to do the same thing for fencing and lacrosse mm-hmm. and women's soccer yep. and gymnastics. And those mm-hmm. meets are on Wednesdays and Fridays and Mondays right. and odd times. So you're going to tell me that you're going to take the lacrosse team, men's lacrosse, from at a class, at <laughs> a class, yep. fly them all the way to Washington. And mind you, you never travel the day of competition. It's always a day before. Oh. I played in the 2009, 2010 Rose Bowl against USC. They had Mark Sanchez play, Matthews, all those guys. But I got there about two weeks before the yep. game. One in yep. three of those days were just on my own, right? Like, yep. so if you time it up right, you have a lot of free time. You're going to take these kids on a Tuesday, get them all the way out there, sit mm-hmm. at the hotel, go to the game, fly them all the way back. But as you said, people like football and right. the Pac-12. The reason why national champions in football, this is Bomani Jones had this theory, so I can't really take it from him, but. The reason why schools like Oregon are talented and do well, but can Mm. never beat teams like Bama and Florida is because the majority of the bigger, larger talent is in the Southeastern United States. Yeah. And that's why the SEC is so good. So if you're a defensive end from outside of Atlanta, you're going to want to stay around home. Are you going to go to Washington? Right. Or Colorado? Or, and if you're a quarterback, why would you want to go to a school like Nebraska where it's cold half the year? You're mm-hmm. not going to have receiver. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, these things end up sorting themselves out. That's why, you know, I'm consulting when I consulted with Penn State. They always had to make sure that they were doing everything they could because you're not near a beach. You're not necessarily a place that is going to be able to compete with like USC as far as location wise. Right. Right. But right. Conferences no longer mean anything, right? In the Pac-12, which I grew up watching and enjoying, right? All those games mm-hmm. that were on late because I grew up on the East Coast, that's now gone. And it's gone solely because of monetary interest and greed. Once yes. once Texas and Oklahoma, the, the heart of the Big 12, were like, look, we need to go to the SEC. Mm-hmm. It's over. Nothing was sacred. They they screwed up. How mm-hmm. does Texas not play Texas A&M for years? Because yeah. they screwed it up so bad. So right. the conferences don't matter. The travel fees are going to be through the roof, but the Big Ten makes through the roof money. And on on another, on just to finalize and wrap it, if you're looking to add another school, I say the ACC, you better watch out because the Big Ten's like, you know what? How about University of Virginia? Mm. Not far from Maryland, elite Mm. academics, damn near an Ivy League school. Yeah. Pretty good basketball. Decent all around. We'd love to have them. So that's the conference's kind of wheels turning. They're like, you know what? If you're in the Big Ten, which traditionally is supposed to be middle of the country, up north, a little bit of east, right? That, mm-hmm. That's the Big Ten. Pennsylvania, Ohio, Wisconsin, Chicago land, that area. And you say, well, wait a minute. You're offering me USC, UCLA, Washington, and Oregon? 
and now all of their revenue is tied in with mine, right. why the heck would I say no? So all of the people that have Pac-12 championships, all of the people that worked in uh, big Pac-12 moments, it doesn't exist anymore. And it's sad. Right, right. The, uh, there was some discussion. I was listening to a conversation from the New York Times about all of what has been happening with NIL. And there was this kind of claim by the, by the journalist that the last thing that the colleges wanted was for college athletes to become employees of the institution. Why was that? In your opinion, do you think that this, this. I can tell uh, you exactly why. Go. Since of course I know all things, right? But. Well, it's a hell of a lot more than. I, I know about this though, because I've studied it. And I will say the reason I know about this is because I studied it. You ever right. had that friend growing up who had, owned a lot landscaping company? Well, maybe you didn't, but I did. I did. Yeah. Okay. You did, right? Yeah. And in the summertime, he was my teammate. We would. Yeah. Work with them, and he gave us these little 1099 forms. Look, you guys are independent contractors. We we're like, what the heck is this for? He's like, I can't keep paying you yeah. like I was. I need to claim you guys. And he's like, well, but it's okay. It'll be a da 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 da. Don't worry about it. Just mm -hmm. sign it up, and you go work with me. The same goes for any job in employment law. My lawyer had uh -huh. on. When you have an independent contractor, they incur a lot of the risks of their health care and of their transportation. Yeah. And of their, hey, look, I'm giving you the whole pie, but you got to tax it yourself. When you have an employee in this country, they set it up so if you don't work, you can't even get health care. Yeah. I'm yeah. not a politician, but that doesn't seem the best policy to me. But but you know what? The American health care and hospital and insurance system is one of the best in the world. So no problems there. I'm being facetious. But an employee means you have to care about this person. Right. You have to guarantee them certain rights at your workplace. Right. And we got past child labor because it's, it was never safe. It was never like a thing you could sleep well at night, but and I'm sure at some point someone was like, Hey, it's just not cool to be making employees out of children. Yeah. Well, they're I doing it again in our, in, in Arkansas. Things never change, but I was 17 when I got to school. Yeah. So the employee connotation when you're still trying to push the amateurism slash education slash that's what we care. They try and make it seem like it's a 50, 50 pie when it's 80, 20. Yeah. And if you're an employee, not only do you have those extra rights and looking about it in a sport like football, do you want to be responsible for healthcare? Mm. I don't know if you want to do that. Yeah. that so I, I know what theory. you're saying. I, I, I agree with what you're saying. I think at first I was kind of going through the head of maybe my altruistic side or my kind of like, well, if you made them employees and they get tuition remission and they, this and they, they can start out of their 403B plan and wouldn't that be great? <laughs> you, 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 you have such a bright and like optimistic and clean soul. And I just love oh, it. Yeah, you know that's I mean? But I, I've been, I, I've, I've been toiling through the mire and through like the, the absolute underbelly of this thing. Mm -hmm. And I, I too used to be, I, I used to be like that. I'd bring up the movie, Mr. Smith goes to Washington. Oh yeah. yeah. Okay. And I watched that shot to my 12th grade civics teacher it made me watch it. And I always use that because it's an apt analogy, man. I was like, yo, I'm going to change things. We're going to look at student welfare. Finally, yeah. this should open up yeah. more transparency to the students because I'll be honest. I had people that I knew allegedly, who sold their game tickets for $400 a pile. Do you know yeah. what I mean? And yeah. 
they needed that money, right? Because yeah. they had to send it home to their families. Mm -hmm. We were working class slash lower than working class people for the right. majority of us. Right. Yeah. Right. And yeah. when you, like I said at the beginning, when you criminalize that, when right. you kind of make people, if losing a scholarship to a D1 university is another one of those life altering things. Yep. Absolutely. So you create this from a people who, I mean, let's face it. My parents didn't have a hundred thousand dollars a year to send me to Penn State. Mm -hmm. Most people's parents don't. So that's that that that's kind of just what it is. Yeah, and I think I keep going back to your point about all of the rules and all of the penalties that would happen. I mean, when I when I was working at the BU athletic department years ago, my very close friend ran the student athlete kind of academic support center. And they had li basically a library of loaner books because you couldn't give them money for textbooks because that was uh, illegal. And it was one of those things where you're like, well, this is how, how are we supposed to actually do well academically, right? How are they supposed to do this? Well, they had to do a loaner system and the amount of paperwork and the amount of bullshit that she had to go through to say, look, this is a loaner program. This is how this works. They're not getting it. Da, 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 da. You know, it it just was completely bananas. And I think that it just everything got so derailed by all of these minutia rules, whether it be about textbooks or how many jobs they can have or if they could have a job at all. And that your your illustration of the the player who sold his jerseys and that was then suspended for seven games at the end of his career for six hundred dollars. That's just out of bounds. And now we're in a situation where everybody has to pay for it. And in terms of the, the institutions and, and now you're, you've opened up the floodgates. In your position, speaking of Massachusetts, Charlie Baker, our former governor, is the, now the head of the NCAA. What are your thoughts on, on that decision? And do you think that, was, that NIL was a major reason why they brought Charlie Baker in? Or do you think that Emmert was just had just done his time and they needed really somebody who could handle things from from an external standpoint that Emmert never could do? Coming with the good questions today, my look, you're, 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 you're firing them off. Listen, first of all, the NCAA only changes when they're forced, right? right. So after Emmert's contract ended three, four years ago, when they could have said, hey, Mark, here's like a couple little servants pay let's get yeah i'll exactly. give you a watch great <laughs> date just rolex mariner your favorite one the one you always wanted timeshare in palm beach to play golf like we're gonna set it up for you instead they double down give him like a two-year extension yeah. more money than yeah. ever that was kind of his parting gift and again that is that defiance in that rigidity that has hallmarked the NCAA. The NCAA has always been out of touch. They've always been, how do I put this, culturally insensitive to yep. athletes that make them billions. Mm -hmm. They've always been stiff, higher than uh, thou, and inept. And inept is one of the worst things someone can call you. But that's that's the best way to put them. Um. I don't know what Jim Baker's going to do, right? Mm -hmm. I, I do know that they did know they had to move on from Emmert eventually. They knew yeah. it. They were like, look, after that little, that sweetheart deal that he got, 
they want to give the the facade of look we're changing things mm-hmm. we want to go in a new direction because it's mm-hmm. excuse me it sounds good yeah. but they have a track record of the exact opposite i mean i'm picturing all of the cane culture at northwestern it they go they went all the way to the nlrb national labor relations board to say look right we want to make a union we want to organize ourselves NCAA right. Right. essentially pulled levers to destroy that in 2006 right, right. i when i'm looking at reggie bush as somebody i want to emulate is that just as an athlete he's getting his heisman trophy taken right right uh jeremy bloom downhill skier at colorado you know what i mean olympian the mm-hmm. ncaa is basically telling him yeah, if you want to continue, you 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 have to forfeit being an Olympian. Right. I'm like, how many Olympians do you know? Do you think Come that's on. something? You, do you get what I'm saying? That's yeah. that's not like no. yeah, I had a buddy. We played peewee football together. It's it's not the same thing. Right. But the NCAA right. again being tone deaf, out of touch, mm-hmm. opaque. Mm-hmm. That was how they moved. So time time will tell what happens yeah. next. Yeah. But I don't have a lot of faith that you could tell based on. 50 years of poor decisions. Right. I my my opinion is that he is someone who has obviously a great amount of experience with legislation and, and politics. Obviously, he's the governor of Massachusetts and all that, former governor. And he played basketball as an undergrad. So he has that kind of, hey, I was a former athlete kind of thing going. Um, so there's a little bit of a makes people feel better. Um, I think that certain aspects of Charlie Baker is that he he was probably made aware he's not a dummy. Okay, like I mean, you know, may disagree with him in terms of certain aspects of his politics, but he's not a dummy. And I think that he looked at this and says, "I know what I'm going into, but I just came out of COVID, and it's got to be better than being a governor during COVID." But I think I can do this and it could be a way for me to stay connected, stay, allow for me to stay connected with politics because it's going to have a political aspect. And this is something that keeps me kind of visible. And he will probably have to unpack a lot of mess here. The one thing I'll also say about him, and I remember hearing him in when he first got elected, something he said and I don't know how much of it was blowing smoke up our ass or or what, but he said he was a Republican in a in a democratically kind of progressive state. And he's like, my it was never my desire to only appoint Republicans to my cabinet and to my administration because I just want people who know what they're doing to come in. And he, as an example, appointed a woman to run the the highway, the Massachusetts highway. And she was somebody who sued him when he worked for Bill Weld, who was a previous governor, a Republican governor. And so he's like, I'm not going to like this woman. And when he met her, he goes, I'm hiring this woman. So there's something about him where he's got at least some self-awareness. And I'm hopeful that that self-awareness may allow for him to make some unpopular decisions that might get some of the people who are longer in the tooth a little kerfuffled up. I don't know for a fact, but I'm going to give him benefit of the doubt and some grace. Um, My last question, and I want you to kind of put a Swami hat on your like crystal ball, whatever you want to say. 
What do you think the state of college athletics is going to look like in the next five, 10 years? And is it going to look different in terms of being the, 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 let's just say the engaged fan. I'm not even talking the casual fan. I'm talking the engaged fan and how this is going to affect what they understand athletics to look like. It's going to look really, it's going to look very different. As you can see, the, the, the transfer portal is an indicator of the next era of college, college athletics because you go in a little, I'm sorry to interrupt. Can you explain what the transfer portal is for people who aren't really sure what that is? Right. So the transfer portal is essentially, it sounds like something from Star Trek, but it's just, it is, it's basically something that you can put yourself into as an athlete to find another athletic program slash school to go to. It's essentially declaring yourself detached from school X. I am, eligible to be contacted by schools and then if, then you're essentially re-recruited by other schools wanting you to transfer to their program collegiate free agency right which <laughs> i have i have i'm very i'm obviously very pro athlete but i have mixed feelings on because you have people that are going to four different schools right and it's yeah. like all right well what type of exp- well where'd you go you know what i mean yeah. you spent three different schools it's it's, it's a lot but you also have a lot of coaches, i.e. the situation at Iowa, who were abusing their athletes. And right, right. Before, the, before the transfer portal, if you wanted to leave, you'd have to get that coach who, you know, I mean, Urban Meyer tried to hire him on his staff, which tells you about his mm-hmm. moral compass. Anybody, mm-hmm. who, anybody who Urban Meyer says, that's my kind of guy, but whatever. <laughs> We're not, red flag. We're, not here to, we're not here to talk about that. That is we'll, a different episode. We'll do a whole episode on this. <laughs> Sorry, Buck. I'm not really sorry, Buckeye fans. But the point is, coaches have to treat athletes a lot differently now. Right. Because they're not, it's, it's, it's not this, for example, let's say you're from Brooklyn and you go to University of Missouri. Mm-hmm. You don't have any family out here. You have no mm-hmm. idea how this place even works. It's completely different from everything you've ever known. And it's not like a major football coach to get drunk on power, right? They would yeah. never be. They would never overstep their bounds. They're always courteous and understanding. But in the event that 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 happens, when you're getting paid five million bucks a year, it might blow to your head a little bit. Before you right. were just beholden, and right. the coach knew that, and the strength coach who might refer to you as a name that you weren't given when you were born. And look, things happen in football. You have to coach football players tough. Football's a tough game, no doubt about it. Right. But there were so many instances of abuse and coaches stepping over. They're, and they're still young people, 17, 18, yeah. 19 year old people that parents trust a ton, put a lot of trust in. So it democratized that process a little bit. So I see more of uh, player movement. Mm-hmm. And also I see conferences going away. I'm a traditionalist. Yeah. I like, I like sports rivalry. I, I, I played with some guys from in the Canton, Ohio area from McKinley mm-hmm. and Massillon. And these okay. were. Huge Ohio, Ohio high school football, yeah. huge rivals for yeah. like a hundred years. And I, I just found it so fascinating mm-hmm. that like my boy, shout out to my boy, Andrew Daly. He was like, hey, we're masculine tigers. And my dad played here and his dad played here and mm-hmm. my uncle played here, my whole family. And I'm just like, this is amazing. And it's right. just high school football. Right. They sell right. hot dogs and popcorn, but there, it's a big deal. And I like that. I like that mm-hmm. tradition. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I see conferences as, the reason why SEC people chant SEC after every game, no other conference does that. Mm-hmm. It probably is because their conference is, you know, sports first, everything else later. Yeah. Again, I don't want to judge, but it's true. 
they get the rights for that kind of pride, right? Yeah, yeah. You never hear people saying Big Ten or ACC. It's just like, mm. no. even the years Clemson wins a national title or even the years Ohio State wins a national title or Michigan has the current title. Now, it's just not the same attachment. So no. I think that conferences are going to go away, more player free agency. And I think we're going to see the end of the dear old NCAA. So that's the, mm-hmm. that's the three-peak for you. Well, I want to thank you, Chima, for putting out there a pretty bold statement and a pretty bold set of predictions. So I think that's going to be a great thing that's to, to big, think man. about. Listen, man, hey, go big or go home. That's <laughs> how you got to do it. That's fine. This was a great conversation. I hope I have an opportunity to bring you back onto the show. And you always have a place here at Office Hours with Dr. DeVoe. I think that's great. So thank you very much, Chiba, Chima Akoli Esquire. And if you want to take a class with Chima, you can go over to the Wood School at Boston College and take a class with him in the sports management program over there. But it's great to meet you and it's great to have you on the show. Thank you so much. I had a fantastic time. Great experience. Very cool dog in the background. I think I even <laughs> saw a little kid running around there. So people, she's multitasking. I am multitasking. Thank you so much. That was not a little kid. I will tell my husband that you thought it was a little kid. Oh, no. Oh, my God. No, no. God. You know what? It's it's the depth perception. I just, you know what? I have the blurry background on, so I just want to be clear. The blurry background. (laughs) Mr. DeVoe, sorry, sir. I did not. You are not a kid. And I do have this to say. My husband is also went to law school. He went to Boston University Law School. And when you were saying why you went to law school and the formative experience of it was, he never went into practicing law either, but he's a he's a dean of students now and, and he uses his law degree in different ways. You use specifically taxes as a, you need to know about taxes, you need to know all this stuff. And my husband will tell you that tax was his least favorite class. And I believe the quote from his professor was, D stands for diploma. <laughs> Mr. DeVoe, and that's all he had to shoot for in that final. I love that. <laughs> Regina Jefferson taught me tax and Catholic, and I said, Professor Jefferson, I'm going to hate this course. I do not like anything tax related. She said, I'll keep it simple for you, and it's important to learn, and I just want to shout her up. Amazing woman. Awesome tax professor. I love that as a final shout out. Thank you, Professor Jefferson. All right. Well, thank you, Professor Akoli. It's wonderful to have you here, and I appreciate you. Take care. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Glad you like it. You enjoy it? It was fun. I I had a lot of fun talking to Chima. I told him he has an open invitation back to office hours. And uh, let me know what you think of this show and what are maybe some other topics you'd like to hear by reaching out to me on social media. So thank you for being an Office Hours listener. In order to grow our community, please rate, review, and share the podcast with your network. I would really appreciate it. And hey, don't forget the show notes. There you'll find more information on today's guest and how to contact him, as well as some helpful links um, and some details on how to follow me on all the socials, uh, as well as becoming a subscriber to my weekly newsletter on Substack. I want to thank my fantastic producer, David Yaz, and Office Hours is a production of the Pod 617 Studios in Westwood, Massachusetts. Now, get on out there and learn something.